Mac Power Users bonus episode, the release of Mac OS Catalina. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, and joining with me is my pal, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you, Stephen? I'm good. Special bonus episode. Woo! Yeah, I feel like, you know, we're in the, uh, we're hot off the press here. That's Apple. right. That's right. <laughs> Apple, we've been talking about, we wanted to cover Catalina. We wanted to make it timely coverage. And of course, Apple decided to release it. <laughs> yeah, it's out uh, sort of mid-cycle for us, and we didn't want to wait. So here we are with a, a special bonus episode. So this is just us talking about the features of Catalina, uh, talking about my review, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. No sponsors, just Catalina all the way, all the way down. Yeah, I am actually excited about this Mac update. I was talking to a, a geek friend who said, well, you know, all the actions over on iOS, who really cares about the Mac at this point? And I couldn't uh, disagree more. I, I just feel like Apple is is doing things very publicly here with the Mac operating system that show it does care about the Mac. And it's a very interesting update because, you know, we're gonna, as we get into it in this episode, they're making some very fundamental changes that are going to change the direction of the Mac going forward. And as Mac power users, we need to be aware of that and kind of ride that wave. I think that's absolutely right. And I actually look at the changes in Catalina, which we're going to get into, as a sign that Apple also disagrees with your friend. That I don't think yeah. Apple would be making these like fundamental changes to macOS and building technology to make macOS more convenient for developers if the Mac was, you know, on its way out or on its last legs. Clearly, yeah, the, the Mac the, isn't the cornerstone it once was. That, I think, has ceded to iOS. But to say that the action's over, or that the Mac's time is, is done, I just, I just don't believe that. Well, if that was true, they would just let it linger. Right. You know, they wouldn't be putting this kind of effort into it. Exactly. I mean, you know, one of the big changes is the 64-bit transition. That's a lot of work for Apple. I mean, a, a lot of underlying, um, you know, software had to be rewritten to support that. Why Why would you do that if you didn't think this thing had had some legs left? Yeah, absolutely. There's, I think there's a whole bunch of examples of that. So let's, uh, let's get into it a little bit. Uh, I will say we have some links in the show notes this week to Apple's page. I wrote a review of Catalina. It's about 8,000 words. I also have the... Uh, updated this my screenshot library so if you're not going to run Catalina quite yet but you want to see what it looks like I have hundreds of screenshots to do that for you and of course there's a link to it in the Mac App Store like I don't know I don't know how many years now 5 or 6 years this Mac OS update is free you download it in the Mac App Store so we have all those links for you over in the show notes for you to uh, to check out yeah, and I just want to say, because Stephen won't, that his uh, review is just about perfect in the sense that you can get through it in about a half hour, learn a lot of great stuff about the operating system. I like that you put your opinions in there, Stephen, and um, and it's a great kind of companion to this episode. So oh, if you're listening, you. go download or read uh, the review over at 512 Pixels. Yeah, I wasn't going to do a review this year. My my initial plan was to write a series of articles about the various features. And then I had some of that done and I realized that I just had a review sitting there. I just needed like the the stitching together. And so yeah. it's been a couple of years since I've written like a real in-depth macOS review. And it was nice to uh 
actually spent a weekend, like a Saturday and Sunday, writing it, and I'm, I'm really happy with it. So hopefully people will enjoy that read. Uh, so we did a show about getting ready, but just to remind you, because we can't do an episode on this operating system without at least mentioning, go get yourself Go64 and run it <laughs> on your Mac. You know, this is a big deal. They've switched it to a 64-bit operating system. 32-bit apps no longer work. Uh, you will have apps that just don't work. We talked about it last week with Dave, and um, it's just something that you have to do. Absolutely. There is no recourse for these apps. 32-bit stuff is completely gone. And we'll talk, uh, I talk in my review about that process. That's been a process Apple's been on, depending on how you count it, like 13 years. <laughs> and wow. they've slowly been uh, moving the entire OS and their apps to 64-bit. And, you know, for most people, 32-bit, 64-bit, that's language that doesn't really apply to, m- to most of us. In the early days, it meant that you could use and address more more memory and you were more stable under certain situations. At this point, it means that Apple has a smaller, cleaner code base and developers have fewer things to worry about. So you're going to get caught with some old apps potentially. Again, that's that's why you have Go64. Um we can't. I mean, I feel like I've preached it here on the blog and my other shows. Like, you've got to run this before you install Catalina, or you're going to be in for a surprise, yeah. or thirty, <laughs> depending on how many apps you have in trouble. Yeah. Well, especially if it's like a mission critical app, you you don't want to discover that after you do the upgrade. <laughs> that, yeah. That's bad. Yeah. You also need to keep an eye out for any third party kernel extensions. We haven't really talked about this previously. There's a feature in Catalina called Driver Kit. And what it does is it takes kernel extensions and basically treats them like regular software. I think the most common kernel extensions probably in our audience are things related to like VMware Fusion or Parallels, you know, some sort of virtualization software. You need to make sure the version you have is updated to support Catalina because if they rely on a kernel extension, uh, that kernel extension will not load in Catalina. That's a security feature. I think it's a really good security feature, but just another thing you should look out for before you hit that upgrade button. Well, and the reason for it really is it's interesting that the operating system, in essence, is partitioned off where it used to be part of your basic hard drive. So anybody could write files anywhere on the drive. But now the actual operating system is partitioned off. You cannot access it, Mm -hmm. which is a great security feature. I mean, uh, third party hackers trying to, you know, insert code into your operating system to do dreadful things. They just can't do that with the yep. new Mac operating system. But downside is all kernel extensions, uh, that that was how they worked. They broke, you know, they worked worked on the operating system level and they can't do that anymore. Fortunately, Apple did provide a framework, a proper framework for people to do something like kernel extensions, but but outside of the operating system. Also, I just want to very briefly mention the supported models. It's basically the same as Mojave, unless you ran a cheese grater, Mac Pro, those are all gone now. So any one port MacBook will run it. Uh, any mid-2012 MacBook Air or MacBook Pro or newer uh, Mac Mini or iMac, you have to have a late 2012 or newer. And then, of course, the iMac Pro and the trash can Mac Pro. And uh, assumedly the new Mac Pro, all supported by Catalina. So I, I think the, I think these are all the same as Mojave except for the, the Mac Pro. I got to hand it to Apple. Their support for old hardware on macOS is really pretty good. I mean, running a late 2012 Mac Mini 
in with a new OS that's basically coming out the end of 2019. That's a, that's a pretty good run, and I'm I'm always happy to see that Apple does what it can to keep Macs in usable service as long as possible. Yeah, I just got an email from a listener saying, "Hey, I'm trying to convince my boss to buy me a Mac as opposed to a laptop, a PC laptop." He's like, "Give me something because you know the web services we we use work on all devices." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Length, you know, length of device. Just look at how long a Mac will last compared to a, a you know Dell whatever." Sure. And you're going to be bucks ahead. Yep. I, I doubt there's many late 2012 Dells running the most current version of Windows right now. I hope not. <laughs> it's going to be going to be rough. Uh, we talked a little bit at the top about the importance of this release, and I think it's important for uh, really three reasons. One, we, we talked about it already, the cutting of the past and moving to the future. So getting rid of, of 32-bit apps, that means all carbon apps are gone. We're going to talk more in detail about that in a second. But there's clearly a shift in the underlying uh, parts of, of the OS to get rid of the 32-bit stuff. That's a big deal. But they're also moving to the future with Catalyst and Swift UI. Catalyst brings iPad apps to the Mac. And Swift UI is sort of a longer-term project. That means a developer developer could write one application and it could run on the Apple Watch, iPhone, iPad, Mac, and Apple TV. That is clearly a down-the-road type of thing, but the beginning of it is here in Catalina and in iOS 13. Apple's making the Mac an easier target for developers. And, and to go back to, to the conversation a second ago, that's a big deal because Apple is signaling that the Mac is an important member of the overall ecosystem of Apple products. The Mac is not getting left out of this. In fact, Catalyst exists purely to uh, the Mac's advantage. That's a really interesting thing to consider when the narrative has been for the last couple of years that, oh, maybe the Mac's on its way out. I, these are the reasons I don't believe that. All right. I want to talk about Catalyst. Okay. okay. So be- to begin with, for folks that haven't been up on the news, Catalyst is this system where you can take an iPad app, currently just iPad apps, but you know everybody assumes at some point it's going to be iPhone apps mm-hmm. as well, and relatively easily convert that code to run on a Mac. Now, the the hard part for the developers is you're going to have to take a touch interface and turn it into a mouse and keyboard interface, and I think some will do that better than others, but the the general code base is just going to come over. And like, there's been several apps talked about. I think there's rumors that GoodNotes is working on this, which is an excellent iPad app mm-hmm. that's going to find its way onto the Mac. And and Twitter, you know, which has abandoned the Mac, is going to come in. And so the idea is we're going to get a bunch of apps over on the Mac that just didn't exist before. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the 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 engine behind Catalyst, I think the reason that Apple is doing it is because they they see the iPad. And like you said, in the future of the iPhone, there's this great ecosystem of apps. And most of the time, there's not a Mac version, or maybe Mac users are stuck with a website. So look at Twitter. iPhone app, iPad app, no Mac app. They got rid of the Mac app a few years ago. And so if you want to use Twitter's first-party experience, you got to do it in a browser. Apple does not want the Mac to be boiled down to just a system that runs a browser. You know, they don't want to be... I'm sorry to fire the shot. They don't want to be a Chromebook, right? They don't want to the Mac just to be Safari or just to be Chrome. They want it to be a rich ecosystem with apps. And so 
this will be a, a shuttle for those apps to come over from the iPad. Uh, I've been on several betas now. Most of them are pretty good. This is definitely a thing where developers will need to do a little more work than just clicking the box to make it compatible. The developers are, who are going to spend time on really tuning this, I, I hope will be rewarded in the marketplace by customers and by customer satisfaction. I will say it will be unfair to judge Catalyst on day one. And in fact, we are here on day one. There's not a lot of things out there yet. This is going to be a slow rollout because the developers really kind of got it handed to them with iOS 13 this summer. And a lot of the developers I know personally had plans to be on Catalyst on day one. And now they're going to be later in the fall or maybe into early next year because iOS 13 just burned down their summer, right? So this is going to be a, a slow start. It's going to be like anything else. will be good examples and bad examples. But looking at what's possible here, I think it's really exciting because, like you said, the code base is the same. In fact, if you dig around in the read-only partition in Catalina, there's effectively an iOS system folder sitting on your desk. I mean, it is like a an embedded version of iOS that these apps talk to and run from. It's like fascinating under the scenes or under the covers behind the scenes. I mix those metaphors. Uh, kind of an interesting way to do it. So I think that it is uh, a big deal. And I think that we need to reserve judgment until this is a little more fleshed out because on day one, there's just not a lot of examples to, to choose from yet. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the show, every feature we talk about, you can use today. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, put Catalina on your Mac and start using it. This is the one that has a question mark hanging over it. But I also think five years from now, this may be the biggest thing we remember about Catalina. It's the year that iPad apps came over. And I, you know, this is another one that's somewhat controversial. Uh, some users uh, we've talked to say, hey, you know, this is like treating the Mac like a second class citizen. You know, we should have quality apps made just for the Mac. But that's not what Apple's trying to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're trying to make, I mean, Swift UI, which Stephen talked about earlier, is an idea where you code once and you put it on all Apple devices. Yeah. And that is... That's how you make it easier for developers to make apps for your platform. Mm -hmm. And if if we continue on the current course, I mean, I'm not ha I'm not happy going to Safari to use Twitter. You know, I think that's no, silly. It is, and and I want an app. And and you know, the obvious you know candidates for things like this are things like Netflix and you know simple apps. But the way I understand this this framework and Swift UI to follow it. We're going to get complex apps this way too. I mean, GoodReader is a complex app, and um, I'm sorry, not yeah, GoodNotes. GoodNotes. I'm sorry, yeah, GoodNotes is a complex app. I I'd love to see that on the Mac. So anyway, I, I think this is something to be excited about, but we're going to have to be a little patient. I, I think too. I think this is a response from Apple that shows they understand the the marketplace. Like I I agree with those listeners. I wish that the Mac app ecosystem, you know, up to this point was richer than it was. But the reality is it's just it has slowed down and Apple is not content with that. So they are building these tools to help uh, revitalize it. And yes, that means like what a Mac app is, is kind of fuzzy now, right? It's kind of a hard thing to define. And as we talk about the media apps in a second, if this is done well, you're probably not even going to be able to tell. I think if you look at, at some of Apple's new examples, 
uh, you can see that. And, and that's really the third reason this is a big release, because it does mark the end of iTunes on the Mac. iTunes is still on the PC, so if you're on a Windows machine at work and you got iTunes there, that's still there. But the the kingdom of iTunes has fallen after 18 years into these uh, these new media apps, which we can talk about. But those are three really big things. And if you had asked me three or four years ago, like when Apple was really kind of settling into the one OS a year cycle, I'm not sure I would have predicted these three major things happening all in one year. I figured they're going to go annual, and so they'll they'll trickle out updates like they have been doing for you know quite a while now. That's fine because boring OS updates are fine. Like you don't necessarily want a lot of upheaval year after year. But all three of these things have come crashing into macOS at the same time, and that makes Catalina, like I said, it's a big deal. So do we want to talk, right. want to talk about the, uh, the media apps? Yeah, I do. Actually, before we start the media apps, uh, what's your thoughts on day one install? I think, I think if Go64 says you're okay, then I think you're probably okay. I think Catalina has come a long way in the beta process, but I'll give my normal caveats. If your Mac is something you rely on to pay your bills, give it a little time, right? Like, so in my life, my MacBook Pro has been on Catalina all summer. I won't put it on my iMac Pro probably until point one or point two. I'm going to give it a little time. But if your Mac is, you know, maybe it is a secondary device to an iPad or an iPhone, or there's nothing really mission critical on it, or you use all Apple stuff, right? You're using iWork and you're using, uh, you know, photos and iMovie and stuff, all that stuff's ready. And I think it will be, uh, I think it'll be okay there. But if you run into this without checking out Go64, then like it's it's on your own head. You, you got to make sure yeah. you don't have anything that you need. Um, I would say it's fine for day one, just the same as other OSs have been fine for day one, if you meet all those caveats. But yeah, yeah don't, I, don't put it on a production machine yet. I've been using it on a borrowed laptop. We talked about on the show at the beginning, it was pretty hairy, but now it's been rock solid. Actually, I think I have to return that laptop, but I'm, uh, uh, I I think I'm going to install it very close to day one. I just have to make sure all the podcasting stuff works, but the, um, but I like it. And there's a few features as we get through the show outline here that I don't want to go without. I want them on my iMac. So I'm going to install early, but yeah, that's, that's kind of on brand for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's talk about those media. You know, as, what did you say the the reign of iTunes is over? Yeah, the kingdom of <laughs> iTunes has fallen. <laughs> okay, I love that. I, I think maybe we have a show title, but um, yeah. The uh, either way, so they've got they've broken it up into apps, and you know the you know the complaint about iTunes was it just became you know they kept bolting on features to the point that it became kind of ridiculous, and they did on the Mac exactly what they've done on the iOS devices is now instead of having an iTunes app, you have a separate music app, a TV app, a podcast app, and uh, overall. Uh, well, let's start with the music app. What's been your experience with that, Stephen? I think the music app is pretty good as long as you weren't in like the 1% of iTunes power users. So it has Apple Music and your local library on the same footing. It retains almost all of the playlist stuff from iTunes. Some of the UI is a little strange. What's interesting about music is looking at these apps, you would think, oh, they brought the iPad versions over, right? They have Catalyst. They can do all this stuff. Music is actually based on the iTunes code base. My impression is that the music project was already underway when Catalyst was made known within the company. It's like, oh, well, too late. We're already 
So it is it is built on the foundation of iTunes. It's the phoenix rising from the iTunes ashes. So there are a couple of places where the UI is a little busy. Uh, there's some sidebars and stuff that can obscure content. But overall, it's such an improvement over where iTunes was, especially if you kind of dip in and out of Apple Music and your local library, that that for me at least, it it meets my needs. My playlist needs and things are very simple. I'm not you know stringing a lot of, of wild things together. So uh, for me at least, I've got no real complaints about it. What about you? Yeah, I like it too. I, I think it's it's a necessary step. Um, you do have the big question in my mind was what about smart playlists? You know, I mean, I like those playlists that say play any song that I love. You know, you, they have that binary system now where it's you either love it or you don't. Um, but I haven't heard in six months, you know, so I can have it, you know, feed up some of my favorite music that I haven't heard recently. Uh, you can do that. Um, when you install it, it imports your smart playlists. And I was spending time with this before we recorded. I can't figure out how to make a smart playlist from scratch with the new system. It used to be a plus sign at the bottom there. You know, I, I know how to create a playlist with the existing um, Apple Music system. I'm hmm. sure there's a way to do it. I don't know. Have you played with that at all? I haven't. I only have one smart playlist in my iTunes library. It is music that is unable to be added to iCloud. Like, yeah. uh, just cause I, I drug some MP3s in once and they were all broken in weird ways. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge playlist user to begin with. Like I basically just listen to albums front to back as if they were on record. So yeah. I don't, uh, it, I would assume that's in there, but I honestly haven't, uh, haven't okay. looked into that. It's obvious now it's, it's under a new, under the new sub menu, there's okay. a new smart playlist. So there it is. So you're good. Uh, you know, I, I was just thinking that you would do it from the interface because it feels so much like an iPad app, but it's the menu bar. Sure. Why not? Um, but, and I'm a big playlist person. I make all sorts of playlists. I've manually created them uh, with Apple Music. I've gone a little crazy because I like, there's a lot of, of music I like that's obscure that you can access with Apple Music. So I've been doing that even more than the smart playlist lately. If you're a normal music person, this is going to be fine for you. If you want to make the geeky smart playlist, you can do that too. I think it's funny that it allows you, and smart playlists still allow you to sort music by star ratings, even though there's <laughs> no way in the interface to add them. Oh, but, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but That's, but they also allow you to use the love feature. I, and I always thought the star rating was crazy because like five stars. How do you pick between five stars? I, I I've never I never was into that. Uh, I barely even favorite pictures and photos like I, that sort of thing. It's so close to tagging, and I don't like tagging, so it's it's chaos for me. But that may be just a weird seam where again this was based on the iTunes code base, and like that is like shining through somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, it it's nice, and um, it is not kind of the hot mess that iTunes had become when you open mm -hmm. it up, your music's right there. And I, I, I mean, I, iTunes, everybody made fun of it. I had no problem managing iTunes. I, I would imagine most of our listeners didn't either. Uh, there was a button at the top. You, you clicked on it and then you picked which media you wanted to work in and then you were good. Mm -hmm. uh, but my wife, you know, my kids, they never could figure it out. So yeah. I think there's a lot of users out there that this is going to make it a lot easier for them. I had a, a client of mine, you know, I do a little consulting and they w needed some help purchasing music in the iTunes music store and then putting it on a playlist in iTunes. And like, I had to sit down on my Mac before I went over to their house and do it. Because like, there's 42 steps to this, right? And it's, it had gotten 
so bloated and music, they've done a really good job with music stripping a lot of that away. So uh, I think most people, especially if you're in the Apple music ecosystem, it's going to be a great change. You know, I, I listen to music all day, every day at my computer when I'm not editing or recording a show. And I'm looking forward to having this on my iMac instead of iTunes, quite frankly. One other thing about this is iTunes was clearly an app built in a day when you bought music and yes. you owned your music. Uh-huh. And that was clearly the priority. This application is clearly the priority is an Apple Music subscription. Yes. Yeah, it, it is built for our modern age. Yeah. Uh, TV. They added a TV app. Mm-hmm. And this is a case where I think maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it's it's just better. I mean, the way you played your media through iTunes was really difficult and inconsistent. And this, you, you open the TV app, but just like having the Apple TV on your Mac... I don't have a TV in my office, so I love this. Um, I've been using it a lot, and it's great. Yeah, it, it is. It's like the Apple TV experience is on your Mac, right? Like all the stuff yeah. is there, even if you pay for the Apple TV channels. So if you buy what is it, HBO or something else, you get yeah. access to all that. When Apple TV Plus, Apple's TV streaming service, comes out in November, that content will all be here. You know, I don't watch a ton of media on my Mac, but I know a lot of people do, right? Like a lot of people, if you think about people maybe in a small apartment or in a dorm or something like that, where their MacBook like, is their TV, right? This is going to yeah. be so much better than the old system. No, it's way better. I, I've got to get through, you know, um, Disney Plus has that new service Disney's making. And of course, Disney owns Star Wars, so I'm in. And uh, in February, they're making a final season to the Clone Wars animated series. I got to get through six seasons of Clone Wars. And these are like, you know, old timey TV shows where Mm -hmm. they've got like 25 episodes a season. I got through six seasons of that between now and February. So that would not be possible (laughs) without me being able to run an episode while I'm sitting here scanning documents or something. So this is great. I I think this is a, a really nice improvement. And then there's podcasts. Yeah, which is a Catalyst app. So this is based on the iPad podcast app. And if you didn't know that and you had podcasts and music side by side on a Catalina machine, I'm not sure most people could tell the difference. They look basically the same. They act basically the same until you hit the preferences pane. The the settings look massively different. But other than that, like it feels like a Mac app. And I, I saved this comment for this app to talk about in in particular, there are going to be a quite a few people who sort of use the terminology like, oh, it's a native Mac app. Catalyst apps are native Mac apps. They're not running an emulation. They're not some sort of electron deal. Like they are Objective-C or Swift running on the Mac directly. So I want to kind of not use that terminology because it's inaccurate, but this feels like a traditional Mac app. And if you like podcast, if you like Apple Podcasts, then you will like all of this, uh, all of this, all those features and everything are all here as well now on the Mac. Yeah, you put in the notes. It feels like music until you hit the preferences pane, mm-hmm. and then, then it, it looks like an iPad app. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I every year when I put the betas on my devices, I switch over to podcasts. You know, I usually am not using pod- podcasts. Is not usually my my default. A podcast player usually it's marco's app but the um every year i you know decided to give it a try and every year it kind of miserable but this year it didn't i feel like they've 
you know, between the fact that it syncs your podcast, you've got a separate app over on the Mac. The watch integration is very good now. Mm -hmm. So when I go work out, I can just put a pair of headphones in and Bluetooth from my watch. And I never like have manually gone in to assign podcasts to sync it. Somehow it seems to be just doing it fine for me. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I don't think the podcast app is a dumpster fire anymore at all. It's it's a good app. It is good. Um, it also does make me excited for Overcast and others to come to the Mac because the Mac has been left out of the podcast ecosystem. I mean, how many yeah. people listen to a podcast at their desk with their phone and AirPods, right? Like you can just do yeah. it with the Mac now. And I think it's great. And I think that it's good that one of these media apps is a catalyst app and a really good one. You know, these apps are a lot better than home and voice memos and stocks and everything else that Apple shipped last year. Uh, this is a great app, and I think a lot of people are going to be really happy with it. And and home, uh, it, totally unrelated. Home still is kind of a terrible catalyst app. It's, it's really bad. Yeah, Stephen. One of the things we used to do in iTunes is we would plug in our devices and uh-huh. manage things. You know, decide what pictures went on and all the various bits, the backups, and everything. Uh, what happened? <laughs> iTunes isn't there anymore. That all got moved into Finder. Believe it or not, I'll put a link in the show notes to a blog post I wrote over the summer about this, but it basically looks the same as the iTunes syncing did. You just plug your device in, it shows up in the sidebar in Finder, and you click on it, and you can sync any content to it, restore it, all that sort of thing. So it's uh, it's all there for you, just not in music. It's now in Finder, which I think makes sense under this new thinking from Apple. Like, yeah. it won't. It, why would it be in music? Music is just for music. Finder deals with devices, so put it in Finder. Makes sense to me. I mean, I mean, now that we do cloud-based music services, syncing your device in your music app seems kind of weird when you think about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad it's it's in the Finder. Like Steven, I've I've tested it. I've worked with it a couple times. I've I've plugged things in and and done work with it, and it's fine. You're okay. And then all, well, not all. Most of the Apple Arcade apps will be available on Catalina. I have not spent a ton of time with Apple Arcade yet. It's been a very busy fall for me, but that is a section in the Mac App Store in Catalina for you to go check out those games. You can pair a PlayStation or Xbox controller to your Mac over Bluetooth and, and go crazy. So if you got an iMac and you want to turn it to a game console, you can do that with Apple Arcade. Yeah, and just to, to emphasize, it's not a separate app. It's just part of the Mac App Store. Right, right. Just, just a new tab in there, just like on iOS. There are also a lot of changes to the built-in app. So we talked about three new ones, which actually I think the most new system apps we've had in a long time. Uh, But we also have, you know, the apps that are just come with the OS. And I know you've been spending a lot of time with photos. Uh, What's new for Catalina? What do you think about the changes? I, I think the biggest change, and this is across the board, you'll see it on your iOS devices as well, is just they're getting better at discovery and organization. I mean, it's always, well, actually, that's not the biggest change. There's a lot, okay, there's a lot to cover. But the uh, but the thing that's most obvious is when you open the application, it surfaces good photos for you better than it did before. And you know, the problem is we just have too many pictures now. You know, when you, you've got a camera where you're not paying to get your film developed, you know, this habit starts. I do it myself. I'll take five pictures where I used to take one. So you've got these massive libraries with tons of photos. And then how do you find the good ones? And the program is is getting smarter. You know, I'm sure there's some artificial intelligence involved, but it, it is finding pictures that are well lit. I mean, if you look at the ones that it pulls out for you, 
they're rarely bad pictures. And I think that's great. I've been really impressed on iOS 13 and, and Catalina on my laptop, not only at the quality it picks, but the diversity of shots that also show up. And part of that is the Days, Month, Years organization, which I want you to explain because it's a little weird to talk about. But I just love this. You know, I've got tens and tens of thousands of photos and, and uh, over a thousand videos in my library, and I'm rediscovering things through this. And you know they've had the the memory stuff for a while, and that's gotten better uh, and more customizable on the Mac this year. But that the memory feature never really did it for me because it was sort of a separate thing I had to go do in Photos. And now, if you just use the default view, you're getting that sort of content filtered up automatically. And I'm I'm genuinely loving it because I'm finding pictures that I had totally forgotten about, and it's fun to open it and just see what photos has served up for me that day. Yeah, well, it feels like, you know, it was always fun to make, f- to to poke fun at the Apple sample photos because, you know, Apple is the beautiful people, right? You know? Sure. Whenever you go in the store or see their online sample photo galleries, it's like, these are beautiful people and these are like perfect shots. But the technology's got to a point where the cameras now, even if you're not a good photographer, they can a lot of times get a good picture. And suddenly you start looking like a beautiful person because they find the good ones and they service it. I, it's like they've caught up a little bit with their own marketing. And I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Um, but they they have changed the organization. Um, uh, you know, photos is organized by days, months, and years. And the months and years views now are contextual. So you'll be reminded of photos you've taken around this day in the past. And I don't know. It just feels... It's more fun now, I think. I don't know how else to put it. But the uh, again, I keep thinking about people who don't spend a lot of time working in photos. They're going to be delighted when they open this up and and get to see pictures of you know, you know, on a birthday they're going to see pictures of birthdays through the years. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's just very smart. I um I, I like what they've done, and and that's really where the days, month, years tabs come in, right? Like it, I've noticed. Like recently, our youngest had a birthday, and I flipped through here, and it was basically his birthday party or birthday for the last five years. You know, his entire life, very easily accessible, and yeah. that that was really special. You know, I have all those in an album because I am a I am one of those people. I spend a lot of time organizing my photos library. I actually, yeah. have a smart album to show me what photos aren't in other albums, so I make sure they get filed. But it is it is so neat to have it done automatically because most people don't spend the time I do uh, in that. You know, like my, my wife tried and then she sort of gave up like two years ago. And this has been huge for her because she can just open her phone or iPad and the organization has kind of taken place automatically. I love that you don't want to tag, but you do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like putting things in folders and Finder or Notes or Evernote, right? Like things things yeah. belong in files, folders or albums, but the tagging is chaos is that madness yeah <laughs> the uh the other thing that that's got better is the editing tool suite is just easier to use and it's more powerful i mean i remember for a time when we left iphoto and went to photos and everybody said oh man we've taken so many steps back but boy you could not pay me to use i uh, iphoto mm-hmm. now with all the features mm-hmm. in photos i i think it is so much better than what iPhoto ever was, even before iPhoto started getting terrible towards the end. Um, it's just, I think they've done a great job with it and they've added, you know, it's just, 
it's nice those memory movies you know you get them on the apple tv like whenever we have family over my mother-in-law loves to sit there and just go through the photos app on the apple tv and just have it make videos you know the stuff that we used to have to work on now it'll take an event grab some videos it'll pick amazingly some appropriate music and then it'll make a video out of it well on the mac they have that now too but it's more customizable you know, you if there's additional fonts. You can you can kind of like uh, set the mood and the duration. You can you can uh, you can edit it a little bit more than you can you know where the Apple TV just generates it for you. Um, I think they've made a lot of progress with photos. I'm working on a field guide on it, so I've got so many ideas that I don't want to turn this whole show into a photo show. <laughs> I can talk around, but it, it just. It, this is you know the apple thing where they make they make something and then they iterate it on on it every year and before you know it you look you're like wow this is really turned into something mm -hmm. i think this is the year where photos you notice that and it feels like a very cohesive platform across ios and the mac you know like photos is now an apple product and experience no matter what device you're on and yeah. especially if you do the iCloud photo library stuff so all your things are everywhere I've uh, yeah. I've really come to enjoy it. I don't miss the days of, you know, I used to do all that in Dropbox and like I had this crazy Hazel system. I don't miss any of that because Photos has gotten so good. My wife and I, we were just looking at her phone last night and, you know, we had this suggested sharing button show up that she wasn't aware of. But now it looks and, and it, like we had a family event and there were some group pictures and said, oh, mm -hmm. I recognize a bunch of people in this picture. Do you want, you want to share it with them? You know, and it's just like, they're thinking for you on this stuff and it's very evolved. I still think we need to, you know, deal with the problem of when a husband and wife have two separate libraries, how do we share? Yes. And I mean, there's still problems to be solved, but, but the, the general use usage experience is, is superior than it's been ever before. I want to talk a little bit about Safari. You know, it's not only the browser, but it actually powers a lot of stuff in Mac OS, uh, the technology under Safari. And Safari 13 actually came out a couple of weeks ago. It's out for Mojave and High Sierra, of course, in Catalina. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but it's got an updated start page where it sort of brings in iCloud tabs, recommended links, links sent to you in messages, which I really like. And you know, sort of building that start page, making it easier to, to get where you want to go. Yeah, that's way better. I yeah. mean, that it's not just a little upgrade. The start page is superior to, to what it was. In fact, it's so much better that I used to have my start page set to be an empty window. And now I'm doing it as the Safari start page because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really useful. If you use Safari's built-in password manager and it, it syncs with iCloud, you, for a while now, you've been able to create new passwords there and, and save them to iCloud Keychain through Safari. And now if you manually type a weak or easy-to-guess password, Safari will sort of preemptively warn you that that's a bad password and want to replace it for you. So if you use that system instead of something like 1Password or LastPass, uh, that's gotten better. And one of my favorite features, David, I and I, I if you had told me this summer that this would be my favorite safari feature it's that if you start to type so okay so you have a, a browser window you have a bunch of tabs open you open a new tab and you start typing a url to say that i start typing max sparky and i yeah. already have an, another tab open to max sparky safari will tell me and offer me to take me to that tab instead of opening it again 
that sounds like a ridiculous feature, but I totally love it. Like I, I don't no. something about it. It's like I, I usually, especially when I'm working on show prep or a doc, or a, an article, I will have a ton of tabs open. And a lot of times, instead of trying to find the tab that I lost 30 minutes ago, I'll just open it again, right? Like, and now I don't have to. Now, so far as like a very helpful little browser butler and telling me where my things are. It's, it's really funny when you like start closing a bunch of tabs. Have you ever done that where you just start closing them mm-hmm. really quick and you see the same website come up like six times? Yes, this will help <laughs> you with that. One thing we should mention is that Safari 13 brings a big change to Safari extensions. The old style extensions are no longer supported. There's a new style that sort of it basically turns extensions in Safari to the little Mac apps and... I haven't had any trouble with this because all the ones that I used, uh, which aren't many, one blocker and and one password, basically, the only two I use, those have been fine. But if you have an older Safari extension, uh, it's not going to work in 13, potentially. So uh, you've already discovered this because Safari 13 got pushed to everybody a couple weeks ago. But if you were wondering what happened to that one extension you used uh, that's what happened. So there may be a new version or you may have to find something else. This is breaking some like older t- style content blockers for the new content blocker system. But for the most part, I think people will be okay. I don't think most people use a bunch of Safari extensions. But if you did and you had trouble, uh, that's what happened. This is part of a bigger theme where Apple is just getting out of the plug-in business. You know, they no longer want developers to be able to inject into their code, just like they don't want... Uh, system extensions, like we talked about at the top of the show, they're taking out plugins from Safari, they're taking out plugins from Apple Mail. They have provided ways for developers still to get that functionality with, in essence, a separate app that is kind of sandboxed and not, you know, not as dangerous to the user. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's going to take a bunch of work for everybody. Yep. All right. Um, speaking of Apple Mail, um, they have made a, you know, they, They've made improvements. Uh, I was just saying the plugins are going to lag behind. I was just looking at a small cubed, the people that make mail tags, and they've got a waiting list right now. So I, I'm sure they're going to be behind the release. If you need that plugin to make Apple Mail work, that may be a reason to hold up. Um, but you know they've added you know iterative changes to Apple Mail. A mute thread is there, and you can block a sender. So they're, they're trying to kind of bring in some more power features that we've seen from outside applications. But Apple Mail is still Apple Mail, right? It's solid. Yeah. It gets the job done. It's not going to be the, uh, it's not going to have the cutting edge features. That's frankly what drew me to Sanebox, who is a, a, a sponsor of the show now. But when I first started subscribing to them, they weren't. And, and the reason is I just wanted to upgrade Apple Mail. And that's what allowed me to do that. Yeah, it's, Sort of surprising how slowly they move along with mail. There's a lot of stuff out there they could they could add to it, and this is not the year that those things have been added. Right? There's no uh, there's no snoozing. There's uh, no real like well in iOS in particular, no share sharing stuff or extension support. Really, it's just a very slow and steady type of program. Yeah, I heard from a birdie um, that the you know that there's been so much work on Apple Mail behind the scenes on the security to you know to more make mail more secure because mm-hmm. it was you know when you think about the app it's an old app and when it was first written we didn't have the same types of security risks and threats that we do now so right. i think they put a lot of effort into kind of locking it down 
and I don't think they've put as much into into features. But it's fine. You know, to me, the thing I love about Apple Mail and the reason why I've really kind of found my peace with it. I mean, I, I rebelled against it for years. I would go through this, and anybody who's listened to Mac Power users very long knows that I would go through this process where I would download all the third-party mail apps and try them all out and, and, and get frustrated with them, more frustrated than I get with Apple Mail. But, you know, it, it on the Mac, you can Apple script it, you can keyboard maestro it, you can add something like SaneBox. So you can make it a powerful app, and it does just work. Yeah, I've used it for years I, I i used to you know go out and try something else and come back i've even given up on that it's it's reliable and it's it's faithful so i just keep on trucking along yeah one thing i'd say about mail uh, feature i think probably one of the most important new features for listeners and this is uh, bridges over to ios as well is now um, apple mail has always had multicolored flags on the mac but now they also have those same flags that sync over on ios devices and that has been a huge uh, benefit to me going through the betas. So like I have flag colors, like to me, orange is personal, blue is Max Barkey, red is legal. So I have flag colors assigned to areas of my life. Okay. And if I'm on an iOS device and there's something that I need to get off my Mac or something that I want to use Apple script to reply to, or, you know, something that I just need more power that I get on the Mac, I'll just flag it on the iOS device and then archive the message. Mm-hmm. And then when I get back to my Mac, I've got flags of varying colors. So when I'm processing legal mail, the first thing I do is take care of all those red flags. And um, it, it's been a really great workflow for me. And it's, it's not really the solution everybody wants. You know, some people want to be able to do everything on that iPad. Uh, but for me, it's the solution that works because I'm at my iMac every day. So it's not a big deal for me to delay that an hour or two till I'm sitting on my Mac and sure. and process it. And it takes no time to apply a flag. Although uh, on iOS, it's kind of weird. You hit the forward button, yeah. put a flag on. <laughs> but, uh, but the, uh, mail team. But the, we're not talking about that today. But, no, the, no. Uh, <laughs> but either way, uh, that feature is to me the biggest you know, improvement to Apple Mail is the syncing of flags. I want to talk about reminders. It got a huge update. It's matching what's in iOS 13. So you have the new layout. You have the more powerful reminders. Like, so you can add, of course, you can add dates. That's easier now with natural language processing locations. Uh, you can attach images and files. You can do subtasks. What's really cool is the messages integration. I like this on on iOS as well, where if, if I say, you know, if I add David as a tag to or to a task, and next time I send an iMessage to you, messages will be like, oh, hey, you were wanted to be reminded to ask David about this thing. And that is awesome. And <laughs> reminders is, is kind of having its notes moment this year. There are, I still have some complaints. You just like notes when it came out, you can't adjust the font size on the Mac. It's too small. Yeah, what is this, right? I mean, I know. I mean, they figured it out with notes, right? Everybody complained. Yeah. The other th- and, uh, the other thing that really bothers me about reminders, and it may be what breaks it for me, is I have a tendency to have a lot of tasks with without due dates in my lists. I kind of I kind of use a couple of different projects as you know. There's some stuff I need to do, and then here's like all like someday tasks, like in things they get added to the someday view, but Every task manager I've ever used sorts those at the bottom of the list when you sort by due date, which is how I like to see my tasks. I like to see them by due date. 
reminders puts them on top. So if I have f- 10 items, six don't have due dates and four do, I have to scan past the ones without a date to view them, which is utter madness to me. And and that may be the thing that keeps me from moving to reminders full time because I cannot abide that. Like that totally breaks the way that I work. I have filed feedback, so hopefully that it gets heard. But other than that, if that doesn't bother you, Reminders is really good, and I think it can meet the needs of a lot of people who don't need something more powerful. I think if you're using something like Todoist or Good Task or TickTick or you know those sort of like web-based native iOS app kind of deals, it's worth looking at Reminders because I think it it matches or beats them on features pretty easily. No, I, I always have trouble. Like some folks say, "Hey, Dave, I need a lightweight task manager. I don't want like a big one like OmniFocus. I need something." more lightweight. And I've always struggled to have a good recommendation for that. But I feel mm-hmm. like uh, I've spent enough time with remind the new reminders that this isn't something I can absolutely recommend. Uh, I guess the syncing issues, there were initially some syncing problems. I think you even had some, didn't you? I had originally? Some big ones. Yeah, but that has resolved now. And um, uh, although I, I would say that a system that puts the do items at the bottom, I don't know how that was ever like, considered a good idea i mean it's like how did that get through uh, you know bugs they happen i guess yeah but uh, either way it's a, it's a nice app and you're right it, it has now had its notes moment and if it follows the um if it follows tradition with notes it's going to get better you're going to be able to adjust the font size they're going to add additional features and it's going to turn into a real usable application Notes has continued to get some updates. You know, it got had its big moment three or four years ago now. Uh, there's some new stuff. There's a new gallery view, which I have a couple of notebooks that are basically all PDFs. So, like, I have one that is scan field notes notebooks, and I have one that is user manuals to, like, basically everything in my house. And yeah. I really like gallery view for that because you get, you know, just like in Finder, you get big icons. You can see what's in them. But my favorite feature is shared folders. So in the yeah. past, if you had a bunch of notes you shared with somebody, so me and my wife have some, I had to share all those individually, and I had them all in one folder in notes because I like folders and albums and files, as we discussed, but there was no easy way to share a group of them, and now you can just share an entire folder, and everyone has access to all of its contents automatically, which is awesome. I'm a big fan of this change. Yeah, uh, Mike Schmitz and I did show planning for Focused with shared Apple Notes, but we, we we switched to a different platform because it just got to be ridiculous that every time you had a new note, you had to like send a text message and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now, once Mike and I both get upgraded, I think we'll probably switch back because having one folder with mm-hmm. a, a pile of notes in it and you can create new ones and they're automatically shared. <laughs> right, <laughs> what an idea. Yeah, exactly. It just makes sense. Another thing about Notes, and this is kind of a carryover, it's like Apple uh, Notes on the Mac had better like folder creation and organization tools than it did on iOS, Right. but they brought that parity. So that makes the app even better for the Mac as well, because suddenly you can have nested folders and you can easily create them on all devices. And uh, it just makes the application even more useful across the board. Um, so I, I I am increasingly using notes. I currently have 1,400 notes in my notes database. Ooh. And um, in the like, past... I'm at like 500. I thought I had a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, you know, I keep like lots of things in there. And yep. 
Uh, in the past, uh, I was told by people at the fruit company, hey, you get to a thousand, you should slow down there, Sparky, you know, <laughs> and that's not an issue anymore. So I think the back end is getting more stable. Good. Um, uh, you know, they added a better search as well. But I, I think that um, overall, I just like the fact that Notes gets improvements every year. You know, the, the when this product came out, Katie and I argued about it on the show about is this something that... Apple is going to make this one improvement and then forget about it, or are they going to continue to improve? And and they've continued to evolve this, and and I like that. Me too. Uh, one thing is a good example of that is Checklist, which has been in Notes forever. Yeah. But it basically, it was just a, a visual way to have a list that you could check boxes off of. And now they're much more powerful, so you can reorder them with keyboard shortcuts, which is cool. You can have it to move check items to the bottom of the list automatically. So if you're like packing, you know, sometimes maybe other people have this too, where if I have a list of 10 things and like half are checked and they're interspersed, sometimes it's kind of hard to see like what's checked and what's not. You can group them automatically now. And if you have a, if you've completed a whole checklist and want to reuse it. So again, my packing checklist, I use it several times a year and to undo it, I have to go tap, 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 tap to uncheck them. Now I can just select them and uncheck all of them at once, which is awesome. So this little feature in Notes that a lot of people probably use is getting just a little bit better. And it's uh, it's pretty sweet as someone who uses checklist for, you know, packing list. I do it for when we record a live show. I have like a prep thing of like, make sure you have this, you've done this, you've set this up. And things that I use pretty often now will be uh, less annoying to deal with after the fact. We got a new app that replaced an existing feature. That's this find my app. Yeah, man, the name hurts me. Well, I think the other penny hasn't dropped on that yet. Yeah, right. Like the, the, there's rumors of a tile-like device, but uh, find my combines, find my iPhone and find my friends, which I really like actually to have one app to see where you know people are and then see where my and my iCloud family devices are. One thing on the Mac, I talk about this in my review is that it does not include a today view widget on the Mac. Yes, I'm sad about that Me too. too. I used it all the time. Now, this is a Catalyst app. I don't think that precludes them from building a today view widget. Maybe they just didn't get it done in time. But I hope they bring that back. I hope someone at Apple listens and brings that back because that was a great way to very quickly to see if, you know, uh, you know, I work back here in the studio. I don't know necessarily, like, if my wife's home or not. I can very quickly see without texting her, or, you know, going to bother her, like, oh, are you home? Or and if she's not, then I'll wait till she gets home for something. It's a nice little little feature that I used a lot, but uh, maybe it'll come back. But other than that, like this, again, it looks like the iPad version because this is a Catalyst app. And I think if you didn't know that, you wouldn't necessarily think that because it also looks like maps and other things that are traditional Mac apps. Yeah, it's like I used to use it all the time because it's like on days that I would cook dinner for Daisy, I'd want to see when she left work. And uh, I know I could probably do that other ways, but it was just nice being able to swipe over on my Mac. So I, like you, I I really miss that feature leaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can just open the app. I get it. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) It's a real, it's a, you know, not a hard problem to solve, but it was faster. Yeah. There's one thing in here that I want to talk about about finding offline devices. So say that you have an iPhone and, you know, it gets stolen or or misplaced. You know, someone else has it. In the past, you would log in to find my iPhone and you could see the phone where it was, see somebody speeding down the highway with your iPhone. But 
if they turned, you know, airplane mode on or, or took it off the network, then it was invisible to find my iPhone, right? Because it, it can't call home. In this new system, any Mac or iOS device with offline finding enabled, so you have to go and turn it on, it can detect a lost device via Bluetooth locally. So think about my example. My phone is stolen. Someone has taken it off the cell network. It's not on Wi-Fi. And they then walk into a gas station. If someone else is in the gas station with this turned on on their phone, find my will pin me and say, hey, someone else's phone saw your phone here. You know, th- yeah. there it is. Really nice. Yeah. It's done in a way that's completely encrypted. So like, I don't know it's even happening as the other say that, you know, David, you're the other person in the gas station. You don't know that your phone has helped me recover my phone. It's yeah. completely encrypted. Apple says that the way it's built is there's no there's no impact on your battery life or cellular data plan. This is really cool because what Apple has done is it's turned its fleet of a billion devices into a find my network. And I think that's why yeah. if they do the tile thing where you could attach a sticker to your wallet and your wallet gets stolen, this would work the same way why that feature is so interesting because in a lot of places in the world, especially in in North America, there are iPhones basically everywhere and Apple can create this mesh network to find things. And I think it's great. You know, I think it's really cool, especially because it's basically invisible once you turn it on, you know, you don't know you've done a good deed, but your iPhone is there making sure you get some karma points. Yeah. And so the rumored product is a tile-like product that you can stick on things that you buy from Apple, but it's going to tie into this right. Apple network, which is so much bigger than anything tile has, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like I, if, if they make one, I'm buying it and yes. I'm going to tape it to the bottom of my bicycle. You know, I like, if someone steals my bike, I'm going to know exactly where it is. So, you know, just like stuff like that, I think it's going to be great if they, if they do that. And that's why they gave it the weird name, find my, because it's going to be more than just find my right. devices and find my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to put them on my bikes uh, I, I even thought, like, would it be interesting to, like, put one in my car? You know, like, just, I just, yeah. They're, depending on how expensive they are, I'm just going to put them on everything. You know, you could put one in your kid's backpack, right? Like, if they don't have an Apple device. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, seriously. Like, I mean, you know, so there's all sorts of things. I probably should put them in my kids' backpacks. They leave them everywhere. Did your kids do that when they were young? It's like, come home, like, where's your backpack? Oh, I don't know. It's on the playground. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Is, no, was that I a could... problem at your house? No, it wasn't, but they destroyed them. I mm. I could never figure we'd buy like a new one in September and like in January, it would look like it'd been drugged through the desert, you know, by a truck with a chain. I don't know. I don't know how they did it. They they those kids would wreck that stuff. Yeah. I I think they just like they would just like get one like one handle and just drag it home every day. <laughs> yeah, I maybe. Oh man. Kids destroy everything. That's what we're saying. And then, and then they got the thing where they were giving them so many books that we had to get them one with wheels. I was uh, I felt bad for them then. Yeah, it's like mine are still in crazy. elementary school, but I know that's coming. All right. Well, uh, so Find My has got some some interesting stuff going on. Uh, we would like to be able to get to the information faster, but uh, one thing that we didn't say is when you can find devices with this, you can find all the devices in your family sharing. And that is an improvement before a lot of times you had to like reenter credentials every time you wanted to do that. And that was a pain. And uh, now it's much easier and I can ping, you know, when my kids say, dad, ping my phone, I can do it from my Mac and it's, it's all good. Yeah. I think all in all, it's a huge improvement and I'm excited about the future possibilities of this technology. 
Another feature that was on iOS that has come over to the Mac is screen time. Yeah. And like, in a way, I sort of didn't expect, like if you look at it, it's, it's in system preferences, which I actually wish it was a standalone app because you have to do a lot of scrolling in system preferences to see everything. But it, it looks like the iOS version sort of pasted into your Mac. It has all the normal features. So you have the usage, you know, app limit. So, hey, I only want to use TweetBot 20 minutes a day. I have pickups for my iMac. I have a lot of questions about that. So <laughs> pickups on the iPhone or iPad make a ton of sense, right? It's what did you do when you picked up your phone? Yeah. On the Mac, it seems like what it's trying to do, and it's been screen time like it was on iOS 12 when it first came out. It's been very buggy for me in Catalina. It is trying to tell you what app you use first when you wake up or log into your Mac yeah. But I've only caught it doing that correctly a couple of times. I also was unable to ever get screen time on my Mac to sync with screen time data on my iOS devices, even though I told it to. It's like still a little buggy, but uh, I'm glad the tools are there. You know, the the Mac has had parental controls for a long time, but this is so much easier than the old system and so much more full featured. And when it does sync with iCloud and all your other devices... It's going to know that if you only want to spend half an hour on Twitter, you know, you could just cheat by using Twitter on your Mac all day. Now you won't be able to because that's all going to be synced together. And I'm so glad this is on the Mac because it'll give you a better picture of how you use your devices. I think it's just maybe going to take a couple point releases to get all the, the bugs worked out. Yeah, I I can't agree with you more about it being, you know, it's a, it's a preference pane. It, it needs to be an application it needs to be in the menu bar. I mean, if you really want to have access to this data, how often do people, do normal people go to the system preferences? Not, not, yeah, I I really wish, even if it was still in system preferences, there needs to be an option to put it in the menu bar. Like a lot of other system preference panes do, right? Like Bluetooth. I mean, most of the things in your menu bar from Apple open system preference panes. I really wish they could you could throw an icon up there. Yeah, and I think the data is still kind of garbage on it. Like, like all of my login items, you know, like I use, you know, I've got, you know, Ulysses has been turned on. So I try my Mac. I have not used it at all, but it's reporting an hour and 48 minutes. I'm just looking at my laptop. Yes. But, you know, so it, it seems to be recording apps in the background way too aggressively. And then the other thing is like, there, there are apps that are actually kind of more useful for time tracking, like timing. I think they've even sponsored this show. I know they sponsored one of my shows. So I just can't remember which one. And I, I've done the screencasts for them. They're they're nice guys. But the um but like they report like not only that you used Word, but what document in Word you were working on, or not only that you were on Safari, but what websites you were at. And the there's just not as much granularity in this data. So I feel like there's a ways to go with this, but only Apple could make a system that tracks across all your devices and they've got to start somewhere and they've started. Do you think that like maybe just think about like your family or like people you know. Like how many people do you think are actually using things like app limits and screen time? Or do you think people have just gotten annoyed and turned it all off? You know, I, I've got it, you know, if you listen to focused, I I this is a thing for me. I, I feel like the ability to bring focused attention to something is going to be the superpower of the next 20 years. You know, it, we we live in this age where there is this constant drag on your attention. 
And I think people are starting to get the idea about this. You know, I, I think that it's not just nerdy people like me that are thinking about it. So uh, I'm sure there will be some people that have no interest in this, but other people, as they become more aware of their inability to focus or they want to get better at focusing, they're going to want to use tools like this. So I'm really glad they're being built. Yeah, me too. Let's talk about Sidecar. Yeah. This is a this is kind of a fun, but also kind of weird feature. So on the surface, it just looks like you can turn your iPad into a second display, but then you get into the details and it's really interesting. And I think it says a lot about touchscreen Mac interfaces, how, they, how they've done it. So <laughs> the lack of it, you mean? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I mean. So it works over Wi-Fi or a cable, but it's a very short distance over Wi-Fi. So this is, this is pretty different than uh, some of the third-party solutions that use like a hardware dongle. Yeah, The range isn't as good. I actually have been just using it with USB because the, there's like no latency that way. Yeah. But... It turns your iPad, you know, into a second display, but you, and so you can mirror it or you can expand the display just like you could at any other external monitor, but it turns the, the iPad into an input device for the Mac as well, but not in the way that you would think. So to interact with Mac OS, so you have to use the Apple pencil, basically you can scroll with two fingers on like a, if you're on Tweetbot and you have that over on the iPad, you can scroll. But to use any of the interface, it requires an Apple Pencil because macOS is just not ready for touch, right? That the elements are too small on the screen for your finger, and uh, so they're relying on the Apple Pencil here, which is pretty cool. Like if you want to bring a Mac drawing app or like Mac Photoshop on onto an iPad and use the Apple Pencil, it's awesome for that. But I think people who are kind of hoping for just like a touch screen second monitor for your Mac, this isn't quite that it's almost there but it's a, it's a little bit different it's just so weird to me that this device that is fundamentally before anything an ipad is a touchscreen device until you pair it to your mac and then it's no longer a touchscreen device uh, but then in some ways it is because you use uh, like two fingers to scroll up and down you know, when you're in a when you're in a document, you can scroll up and down with two mm -hmm. fingers. So it's just I feel like this is another one that they have now. You know, started climbing the mountain, but they're not to the top yet with this. It it's it needs work, but there are some things about it that are really cool. Um, uh, you can put the virtual touch bar on that extra screen. I know a lot of people love to hate the touch bar, but um sitting here with a touch bar next to your device, it, it makes sense on a touchscreen device, assuming it, it's acting as a touchscreen monitor. Right. Uh, so I, I, I like having that there. It, it also makes you less reliant on things like menus and UI and the Mac yeah. on the Mac interface because a good Mac app will bring things that you want to the touch bar. And so it speeds things up. I think it makes a ton of sense to bring the touch bar to this. I think it's actually the smartest thing about it. It also has a sidebar, so you can quickly get to like the command key and other shortcut keys, just like something like Screens. Screens does this as well, and so do some other VNC clients. So it, it is a pretty quick way to move around your Mac. I think if you're uh, an artist or somebody who is doing a lot of precision work, this is cool. Uh, I've actually have used it a few times to practice keynote setups because I, dear listener, unlike some people, only use a single display on my Mac not multiple yeah. displays. And yeah. and I've, it's been kind of cool to like use an iPad, to like show me what the keynote would see, would look like, but then have my presenter notes and everything else on 
the MacBook Pro. So there's lots of uses for it, but it's uh, it's kind of a weird feature. It's cool, but it's not what it looks like on the 10 necessarily. Yeah, and there's one more piece of this that it, Apple really hasn't done a very good job of communicating this, but they call it continuity markup. And with Sidecar running, if you have an iPad, you can drag a preview document onto that screen. And I've been doing it with this laptop. And what it does is once you put it on the screen, it kind of snaps the preview to fill the screen. And then you can use the Apple Pencil with the annotation tools to annotate it essentially on your Mac, but with the benefit of a pencil. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's cool. It's great. Because usually what I do, I, I am so sold on the iPad for PDF markup which is how I pay for my shoes a lot of days. You know, people send me contracts and whatnot. I got to go through them. Um, so, you know, the usual method is, you know, I put the the contract on a cloud somewhere. Then I put it to the PDF app of choice of on my iPad and I, I sit down and, and review it on the iPad. But uh, now I can review it on the iPad without you know, moving it. I can essentially just have it on my Mac, but be doing the markup with the pencil on the iPad. And then I can have the iMac screen open to the research or whatever else I'm doing. And then when I'm using voice control, which we're going to talk about, I can dictate notes to it as well. So it's, um, it's a cool feature. And again, I feel it's a little rough around the edges, but it works. And uh, you just have to enable sidecar and then drag your preview window over and like some of the things about it, I don't like as much like highlighting. It does like a mouse highlight, you know I mean? It's, it's like, it's kind of a Mac still mm-hmm. kind of a touch device. It's somewhere in that gray area in the middle, but uh, they did make changes and they did add like a touch. Well, they actually, you need your pencil, but you can, um, you can make changes to the annotation tools. And uh, it's, it's definitely a first pass of this. It could use some work. I'm going to submit some notes to Apple once I kind of spend some more time with it. But uh, I like it. And uh, anybody that spends time annotating documents or um, doing anything with the Apple Pencil, like in that context, this is something you may want to try once you get Catalina installed on your Mac. Something we spoke about a, a while back was the addition of voice control. You did this video on it and talked about it. It's an it's a accessibility feature that spans iOS and macOS this year. Yeah. And uh, can you give people like a, a, maybe a, a reminder of what, the, what that looks like and how you can use it? Yeah. So voice control is an accessibility feature that was added this year. And it, it is what the name says. It's voice control of your device. It works on both iOS and Mac. They brought it to both platforms in the same year. And you can, it's got a grid system. Like if you were unable to use your hands, you could entirely control all of your Apple devices with your voice now. It's a little tedious to do that. Um, you know, fortunately, I don't have any um, any issues where I need to do everything with my voice. But part of that is is um, the ability to do voice to text dictation, and we've had that in the past. And I've I've talked about it, where you know Siri dictation was a start, but it had two fundamental flaws. The first was the timer. You know, it would go for, I think it was 45 seconds initially. I think they got it up to a minute. But at some point, it turns the microphone off, even if you're in the middle of dictating a sentence. And then if you press the button again, it starts as if it's a new sentence. So you've got all these grammar kind of like crashes. And, you know, that's not good. And then the other thing is it never supported a custom dictionary. 
So, you know, there were tricks where you would give yourself nicknames and things to, to get that. But what if you wanted to use the name 512 pixels, exactly how Steven spells his website? Well, that wasn't in the dictionary. So every time you would dictate that, you would get some something weird. Maybe you get the number 512 and then a space in the word pixels, or who knows what it would do. But now it's got a custom dictionary. So you can set vocabulary words and voice control. So I, like for instance, I have 512 pixels as one of my saved uh, voice control vocabulary words. And if I say that, it knows what it's doing and it just puts it in there. So in a lot of ways, this has replaced Dragon. You know, Dragon was the dictation software for so long that mysteriously about eight months ago said they're not going to support the Mac anymore. Well, now it's not so mysterious why they pulled out because Apple has built in essentially the same feature for free in, in the operating system. So that's the big picture. I've been using it since June. I mean, when I saw this in the keynote, I got so excited. I couldn't wait. I, like I said, I installed the, the beta very early. I put betas on my iOS devices. I wanted this voice control. And uh, so having now used it for several months, I'll tell you, it is a massive improvement over Siri dictation. Um, accuracy is better. Uh, there's no timer. Uh, there's vocabulary. Is it as good as Dragon? I don't think it is. Um, you know, I, I, I still have a version of Dragon working on the iMac because it still works on the old operating system. I haven't tried it on the, the laptop that's running Catalina. I'm assuming it won't work on that. Um, I think the accuracy isn't quite as good, but it's good. It's definitely worth using. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I've been playing with it and... Even though it's not perfect, it's way better than anything I've ever used because I, I was never on the Dragon train. Yeah, but the, the difference is with my Dragon voice file is years old. I've been using it for a long time. Right. So it's really got accustomed to the way I speak and the words I used. So I think to give it a fair shot, I need to use it longer. But I don't have Dragon installed. Once I upgrade this iMac, I'm not going to install Dragon I am, I'm sold on voice control. And if you want to try and use it out there, I, I strongly recommend it. Uh, there are some tricks to, to dictating better. Um, maybe we'll cover that in a future show, but yeah, you know, we, we have it now. I mean, I, I just, it's such a huge leap and on iOS, even more, I talked about a few weeks ago, how I just have it in control center. I swipe down and tap the button mm -hmm. to turn it off and on. But it's, it's great. And if you want to sit there and dictate to your device, you can now. And you can do it on any Apple device. Uh, last bit is vocabularies don't sync. I don't know why. I've typed 512 pixels now in, on all my devices. But uh, hopefully that's just something that they haven't sorted out yet. Yeah. I, I would really like that to be synchronized across all my devices. And it seems like a no-brainer with iCloud. And this is part of the accessibility package in Catalina. So while you're using it for dictation... It can also be used for controlling bits of the interface. Like a grid gets overlaid over the screen, and you can talk to the Mac and say, I want to go to this grid, zoom in here. You can even have gestures executed based on your voice. It is really powerful. Watching Apple's demo video of this at WWDC was just breathtaking because it, it unlocks the Mac to so many people who weren't able to use it easily before. I think it's a it's a really big deal to those those customers and those users. And you can add your own custom commands. So like, for instance, when I'm using Apple Mail, I created a custom command that says, 
when I say send this email, uh, press Command Shift D. And so I'll dictate a response to an email. And if I look at it and it's close enough, I'll just say send this email and off it goes. That's really awesome. Let's wrap up with some of the security changes. We already mentioned that Mac OS is on a dedicated system volume now. We talked about driver kit and the change coming for kernel extensions. We'll talk about something that the, the T2 enabled Macs have. So this is the new MacBook Air, the Mac Mini, Touch Bar, MacBook Pros, the iMac Pro, anything with that T2 chip. You can now enable activation lock. So again, you have a Mac, it's stolen, someone's driving down the highway with it. If you had activation lock turned on, then they cannot uh, they cannot re-log into it. They cannot erase and install it. Only you can unlock it for those purposes. So it is, is effectively not useful uh, to them, which is great. You can brick your Mac. <laughs> Another feature, and I think it's really interesting, is expanded Apple Watch support. So the unlock with Apple Watch has been around for a couple of years now. But now you can approve a bunch of different types of security prompts by wearing the Apple Watch and basically authenticating with it. So some things, not not everything that requires Touch ID on the Mac does this, right? It's not a replacement for Touch ID. But some things like viewing passwords in Safari, I think I think it works in notes to unlock locked notes. Uh, you can also do it to unlock system preferences, you okay. know, like when you want to do something. Yeah. So you can you have can you do, experienced this yet? Uh I so my Catalina test machine is not signed into my iCloud account. It's signed into a test iCloud account. So I have not tried this firsthand yet. Uh, I don't generally use my iCloud account on test versions of Mac OS until I know it's done. Also, I don't wear an Apple Watch every day. But it, <laughs> I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Uh, that's a story for a different time. <laughs> I, so it's I. it showed up to me as a complete surprise. I was working on this Catalina laptop, and I wanted to change a system preference. And it said, oh, you can approve this on your watch. Just double tap your watch. Um, so taking your hands off the keyboard, looking at your watch, double tapping, I think that's a little faster than tapping something with a mouse and tapping in a password. I don't know that it's all that much faster but it does feel like living in the future. And I, I don't think it is a, like I said, it's not a replacement for Touch ID, but it also makes me worry that Touch ID or Face ID is not coming anytime soon to more Macs, right? Like yeah. I have an iMac Pro. It's the most expensive Mac you can buy until the Mac Pro comes out. No Touch or Face ID, right? Like I was hoping something would give there soon. And this kind of makes me think that maybe it's not, but it's a nice feature if you wear an Apple Watch. You know, the unlock with Apple Watch is awesome. And this all works just as well. And, and people can already be using the approve Apple Pay with the watch or the phone. It's that sort of thing. Apple does this stuff really well to like use another device to authenticate you on the Mac. And this is just that expanding, which is really pretty cool. Yeah. I think the biggest story, though, about security with this release is all the approvals you need to give it now that you didn't before. So I'm going to read you a list of things. <laughs> so if you or an application do anything to touch any of these sorts of data, you're going to get a pop-up asking you to approve it. Your documents folder, your downloads folder, your desktop, anything in iCloud Drive, any removable media like a USB, like a jump drive or something, uh, external drives, keyboard events, so something like text expander or keyboard maestro, anything that could monitor or change what you're typing, or creating a screen capture in QuickTime or third-party apps. 
any of those things will trigger a pop-up saying, hey, this application wants to control this or access that. Don't allow or okay. Some of this is old. Some, Mojave had some of this. Mojave also, I think it was maybe even High Sierra, introduced the preferences pane to like, yes, give this full disk access. Don't give that. This is just continuing to expand. I have no problem with Apple wanting to protect people's data on their disk, but I truly think, my honest opinion, is that this is too far. That when you install something like Transmit, this is in my review, I got three pop-up notifications the second I opened Transmit. And then a fourth asking me if I wanted it to send me notifications. The problem with this is people are going to stop reading these on about day three. Yeah, And I think when you interrupt the user with a pop-up like this, you are training them to just hit okay if there's too many of them. And I think it's not as bad as Windows Vista. People will make the comparison to Windows Vista because it had its crazy authentication system that worked kind of like this. But it's pretty close, right? Like it is annoying as someone who knows what they're doing to get stopped by that. So my proposed solution for this is if your account on the Mac is a a standard user, you should see these. But if you are like me and you run as a local administrator, there should be a way to turn these off because I know what I'm doing and I don't need to have my hand held by macOS anytime I install an app that wants to see what's in my desktop or documents folders. That seems like a reasonable middle ground to me. Apple hasn't asked me yet, so... <laughs> they haven't. If, if they want to, that's what I think. Come on, guys. You know, Tim, give Stephen a call. I, I'll tell you my... So I have the same problem, you know, with this... It seems like every time I start playing with an app, I get all these boxes on my screen. And to me, I think the biggest injury or insult of it is multiple boxes for a single application. It seems to me like they should be able to say, hey, you just opened Transmit. It needs access to these three things. Mm -hmm. And you click OK once. It gives you a list of what it's doing, and you can OK or you can reject it. But rather than giving you one OK, it's giving you three or four OKs. And that's the part that I don't understand. It's like, come on, Apple. You guys are the best user interface designers in the world, and you couldn't figure out a way to combine this stuff into one one approval? That's a really good point, David. I like that a lot. Anyway, uh, we don't want to end on a downer. This is a big update. And I think that, like I said, between the Catalyst apps and the other stuff going on, Apple still uh, has love for the Mac. It's obvious. Yeah, I'm excited about this. It, it, there's a lot of change, but Apple is kind of putting the foundation in place for the future. Things like Catalyst in the next couple of years will hopefully bring more apps to the Mac. And with Swift UI, Apple's going to bring whole new types of apps to their entire ecosystem at once, where the Mac is a, a level playing field with other devices. That's good for the Mac. The Mac needs a rich third-party app ecosystem that has not been its strong point the last few years. And Apple wants to change that. And I think Apple's more committed to the Mac than they have been in a long time, right? We wouldn't be getting these changes. We wouldn't be getting the Mac Pro. We wouldn't be getting these things if Apple was checked out with the Mac. And so I think Mac users, while you should be prepared for this update, I think they should be excited about what it signals from Apple. And I know that I certainly am. Honestly, voice control alone is enough for me to want to upgrade. But when you look at how iTunes has turned into these media apps, the the Catalyst stuff, the improvement to photos, I mean, they have 
they they delivered the goods this year. And uh, I'm sure we missed a few things. Uh, sign in in the forums. Let us know the things you like most about about this new operating system. But uh, I think we've got something to be excited about. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, everyone, uh, for putting up with us, dropping another episode in your podcast feeder. But we're very excited about this, as you can tell. Go ahead and download and install it. Unless it doesn't work for you, then don't blame me if you do. <laughs> but uh, sound off in the forums. Uh, this is a, a great release for Apple, I think. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. We'll be returning to our usual programming. You'll get a show this Sunday. See you then.